He's now to Greece, a country on the brink of collapse. Banks shuttered, ATMs running out of cash, and now echoes in our country. Vacationing Greeks left stranded here penniless. Images of riots, strikes, and public demonstrations in Greece have reached the whole world, mostly in the last decade. Hello everyone, thanks for tuning in to What Actually Happened. I am your host Sejal Babil and today's episode is about the Greek debt crisis that occurred in the late 1990s. That was the time when the European Union was newly taking shape and European countries were trying to come back on the track of economic growth. Greece was one such country too. But soon enough, it got itself caught in the web of political turmoil that gave rise to the economic crisis that it suffered. Let's get into the episode, but before that, let's understand how the EU and the Euro functions. The EU or the European Union is a political and economic union of 27 member countries that are located primarily in Europe. The EU was created by the Maastricht Treaty in 1993. The treaty was designed to enhance European political and economic integration by creating a single currency that is the euro for the member nations, having a unified foreign policy, common citizenship rights and cooperation in the area of immigration, asylum seeking and judicial affairs. You could draw a comparative of this with a country having various states who work together with coordination and harmony. Now one thing to understand here is that not all countries which are a part of the European Union have to use Euro compulsorily as their country's currency. While most European Union members agreed to adopt the Euro, a few decided to stick with their own currencies like the United Kingdom sticking with the Pound and Denmark sticking with the Denmark Krone. Some other countries who did not adopt Euro as their official currency include Bulgaria, Croatia, Czech Republic, Hungary, Poland, Romania and Sweden, a total of 8 countries. The geographic and economic region that uses Euro is called the Eurozone. So even if a certain European country is a part of the European Union, they necessarily do not have to be a part of the Eurozone. But what was the reason behind the creation of this Eurozone? Proponents of Eurozone believed that adopting a single currency over the entire European economic system reduces exchange rate risks to businesses, investors and financial institutions across Europe and a currency with the backing of the Eurozone economy is better able to compete with the US dollar and other major world currencies. Those who disagreed with the system said that too much power would be concentrated with the European Central Bank which would then set the monetary policy for all the member countries and therefore the member countries will no longer have the freedom to set their own monetary policies. Even though monetary policy was gone but the control of the fiscal policy was still left with the member countries. A fiscal policy is the means by which a government decides about its expenditure and tax rates to monitor the economy. 
Now, with no control over the monetary policy, it would reduce the ability of individual countries to react to their local economic conditions. What's good for the economy of one eurozone nation may not be good for the other. It might be terrible for the other country. That is why even though the countries were part of the European Union, some nations avoided the eurozone to maintain economic independence and have the control of monetary policy along with fiscal policy. Let's talk about one detail that the European Union agreement had which was really important. Now as all the countries had different financial strengths and economic conditions in Europe, the European Union decided to make it fair for the countries who had been performing well to not lose out by taking the burden of poor countries who had a suffering economy. So in order to adopt euro as the common currency that is to enter the eurozone a country had to meet the few conditions the conditions were first any country should not spend more than 103% of its gdp that is the fiscal deficit of the country which is the excess of expenditure over revenue should be within 3% Secondly, the maximum debt that a country can avail should be less than 60% its size of the economy. Third, low interest rates and less inflation has to be maintained. Now, you must be wondering that if you lose out on having an independent monetary policy, then why would countries choose to be a part of eurozone that is to have euro as a common currency? Well, to answer that, hear this out. Even among all European countries there were certain ones performing very well and certain countries were performing very poorly so the poor countries if had euro as their official currency would make their economy stronger rather than having their own currency this is because the value of euro is now dependent on the economic performance of all member nations and the good performance of some countries will keep it strong and stable This allows them to get easier access to finance and stable interest rates for good investment opportunities in their own countries. Now for any government to cover their fiscal deficits they look at investors to give them money or to give them loans right now when an investor looked at a country in europe which had good revenues stable inflation low debt and a fast growing economy he would charge low interest rates as the country is now profitable and less risky But at the same time when an investor looks at a country where debt is high growth is very slow and there are low tax collections investing there would be very risky for the investor and hence they would ask for a really high interest rate for lending money but with the advent of the eurozone system and the consequent introduction of the euro this changed Now there was a common currency across all countries and a central bank overlooking these countries therefore even if one country defaults it can easily be recovered by other countries that is the default country can be bailed out by the european central bank as the currency remains the same
Coming back to Greece, it was a poorly performing economy compared to other countries in the eurozone, and being a part of the eurozone would prove to be hugely advantageous for Greece. But the political class was unwilling to listen. With an intention of keeping power to themselves, Andreas Papandreou's government had to keep the people of Greece happy. So, with huge social welfare measures like pensions and high wages, automatic increments given to public servants every year, and early retirement options, all of these things were implemented, and therefore the expenditure of Greece was way beyond its revenues. It had a huge debt burden, and it could not fit into the eurozone conditions and have euro as its official currency. If it had to fit in, then massive reforms, including cutting down these exact public expenditures, was required, which the government of Greece was not willing to do. They were stuck. But at this time, the investment giants of the United States, that is the Goldman Sachs, saw an investment opportunity in Greece. They helped it cover its deficit and falsify the government books to meet the conditions laid down by the European Central Bank and become a part of the eurozone. They did this by signing an agreement with the Greece government, which involved currency swaps. A currency swap is a foreign exchange transaction that involves swapping. Or converting one currency to another for the purpose of lending and borrowing between two foreign countries. To understand this, let's take a U.S. example. Acting on behalf of the Federal Reserve System, the New York Fed and a foreign central bank agree to exchange or swap currency of equal value for a set period of time. The Fed supplies dollars and receives an equivalent value of foreign currency. At the time of the agreement. A market-based exchange rate is applied to exchange foreign currency for U.S. dollars. That same exchange rate is then applied when the transaction matures. In addition to a fee paid by the foreign central bank, the Fed receives back the same amount of dollars it initially provided, meaning it bears no foreign exchange risk. Clearly, the lender had less risk. In this case, Goldman Sachs was the lender, and the government of Greece was the borrower. The deal involved these currency swaps, in which government debt was issued in dollars and yen, and was swapped for euro for a certain period, which was to be exchanged back in the original currency at a later date. But there was one problem here: the U.S. bankers devised a special kind of swap with fictional exchange rates and not the market rates. That enabled Greece to receive a far higher sum than the money that it could have borrowed in the foreign exchange market. In this way, Goldman Sachs secretly arranged additional credit of up to one billion dollars for the Greeks. The obligations under the swaps were also uneven. Because the government of Greece could not afford to compensate Goldman Sachs immediately, the swap involved a two-year grace period before the subsequent interest payments kicked in. These payments were small and were to be paid annually till 2019. That's how the repayment was structured. As a result, Greece's debt would show up gradually, allowing the country's officials to continue to disguise the. Extent of country's debt to be a part of the eurozone. The Greek government was in such financial difficulties and desperately wanted to secure the eurozone membership. 
this was a quick and easy way of getting money to finance its operations and therefore greece agreed to it greece finally entered into the eurozone in jan 2001 therefore with all the benefits of a lower interest rate a strong currency and the support of the european central bank greece's economy started to grow very fast its gdp was growing at 7% which was really good at that time but this was not without problems with cheap interest rates unsustainable businesses borrowed loans consumers with poor credit ratings got easy housing loans and inflation steadily started rising markets were booming and economy was growing but clearly it was unsustainable with a strong currency as the euro greece's government also started getting more and more loans and taking more and more debt to finance its own expenditures in greece Let me tell you an interesting fact. When Greece entered the eurozone in 2001, it had majorly lied about its debt situation. Experts now reveal that in 2001, Greece's debt percentage to GDP was 120%, way more than the 60% mark, and the fiscal deficit was 15.3%, more than 5 times the 3% mark laid down Till around 2006 Greece was able to hide these numbers but in early 2007 the repayments to Goldman Sachs was also increasing because of their earlier deal and the real numbers started showing up it was a warning signal to Greece but things went completely south in 2008 when the US housing bubble crashed leaving the world to battle a deep recession With the recession, business and economy just dropped. Sectors like shipping and tourism, which was predominantly generating a lot of activity and revenue, virtually just shut down. With people's incomes falling, the tax revenue dropped drastically and deficits skyrocketed. And yet, without the control of the monetary policy, Greece could not stabilize itself. While other countries did not have a heavy debt burden in the eurozone, they didn't have to worry about defaulting, but Greece had to. With no control over the monetary policy, it could neither devalue its currency as euro was regulated by the European Central Bank and nor could it go for debt financing. Debt financing is nothing but printing more money and using that money to repay debt. This printed money is backed by gold reserves to ensure that the currency is stable and not too much money is in the circulation. Even though Greece had control over its fiscal policy, it wasn't very helpful. Usually at the time of a recession, government spending is massively increased to give employment to those who lost jobs and stimulate investment in the market and in the economy. An expansionary fiscal policy is followed. But here the government could not do that because it was under a huge debt burden and for the money it received from Troika it had to limit its spending. By 2009 Greece was at the brink of defaulting. Its credit rating dropped to junk and the cost of borrowing increased a lot. Hence Greece knew it it would receive a bailout. The Troika which was a trio of three institutions namely the European Central Bank the IMF and the European Commission gave an amount equal to 110 billion dollars and in return 
Greece had to massively reduce its government expenditures and increase taxes to get the money and stabilize the economy. This didn't serve any good either. With high unemployment, tax revenues had to fall, and with no government spending in the economy, it deprived the citizens of basic facilities of health and welfare. These conditions posed by the troika crippled the economy of Greece and it went into further debt climbing to almost 200% of the GDP. So in 2012 another round of 130 billion dollars were given to Greece with further austerity measures to tackle the situation. This was by far the largest sovereign debt restructuring in history for a single country. This is something that uh, is by far the largest loan ever given in history. And in order to give you some kind of an order of magnitude, there is an international organization that has, let's say, this role of bailing out. This is the International Monetary Fund. If you take the four or five largest loans ever given out, countries like Brazil, Argentina, Russia, and so on, or the IMF, still they do not sum up to the uh, amount of money given to Greece. Thousands have gathered here in central Athens. The country's main private sector and public sector unions are holding mass demonstrations and strikes across the country. Even though Greece has made great strides in improving its budget deficit, the country is still stuck in a recession. And people here are fed up and in some cases desperate. With extremely low wages, no social welfare benefits, high unemployment rates and limited spending by the government as a part of these austerity measures, it led to protests in Greece and hence in the 2015 elections, a new government was elected which promised to increase spending and boost growth in Greece. This led to bad blood between the EU and Greece which led to a short period of what was known as the Grexit. Along with this, Greece started massive spending and as a result, by the end of 2015, Greece defaults. The Greek stock exchange, that is the Athens stock exchange and the banking system closed. With all hell breaking loose, Greece had to accept a third round of bailout money from the Troika. It feels like the trauma of this crisis in the minds of people would continue in perpetuity. Greece was the first developed country to ever default its payments in history. Even in 2019, Greece still has one of the highest unemployment rates in the European Union at almost 17% and its debt ratio to GDP is still 181%. Every one in three people in Greece live in poverty. Even though the bailout scheme came to an end, Greece still has a long way to go to boost its economy and give its people a better standard of living. And with that, we come to the end of this episode. Thank you for listening and have a nice day. The second round of bailout slowly helped Greece to reduce its debt burden and by 2014 it now had a budget surplus but this in turn had other consequences <laughs>